right. Once again, good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here. Just a little bit of ringing. We are going to pick up with a study from last week. I'm going to do a small amount of review at the beginning, but I'll try to get through that quickly. But we started the study last week in discussion of the Holy Spirit and today's Christian. We had covered a little bit on the introduction and we had gone through um, a small portion of the lesson and got into some good discussion. So we're going to get back on that now. Hopefully some more good discussion. It's always good to learn from one another as we talked about before. Today we're going to begin by looking at being led by the Holy Spirit. And like I said, I think some of these things we touched on last week. So at the start, we may be going over some stuff again. But we'll try to get through quickly and go on to the next topic. But the references for Scripture we have for this, Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11, uh, 14 through 17, and then 26, 27. The Bible clearly declares that the Holy Spirit dwells in the child of God. For example, when we look at Peter's words, Acts 5 and 32, it says, And we are his witnesses to these things, and also is the Holy Spirit whom God has been given to those who obey him. And then Paul also makes the same point in Romans 8 and 9, says, But you are not in the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The statement does not merely introduce the idea of the indwelling, but also shows the importance of it. We look at um, Moses' Lord explained in his writings, to be under the control of the Spirit is to live according to it instead of according to the flesh. Obviously, those who live according to the Spirit follow God's plan the Spirit has revealed, the inspired Word of God. Christians must not miss the power of Paul's statement. The Christian is empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and its consequences. Romans 8 and verse 11. Through our study, the Word of God becomes our guide and our way of life. This gives us the strength to overcome temptation and sin. So we've talked about last week the idea of, of the Spirit and the Word of God, which the Spirit gave to us in our study and our practice of that Word, helps us in our daily life and our struggles to overcome and to fight temptation. So the more that we study, the more that we learn about God, the more we pattern ourselves after Jesus Christ, then the easier it becomes to step aside and overcome temptation. But we must have that. We must practice. We must study. As we talked about before, you've heard numerous times, I'm sure, in sermons, the idea that once you overcome sin then when that temptation comes around again, it becomes easier to overcome it. That practice helps us and strengthens us and gives us the resolve that we need and the dedication that we need next time that sin comes around. So our study and our practice and the keys to these. As we saw in Romans 8 earlier, we must live according to the Spirit's direction. Those who do are the sons of God. Paul did not elaborate further on the process, but we know, however, that the witness of the Spirit is provided for us in the New Testament. When we hear and obey the Spirit, we can have confidence in our position in God's family. 
That comes, of course, through the study of the Word. This, of course, is a great blessing, for if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We see in verse 17. Also, there's much more we would like to know about the Spirit's work, but our knowledge is limited to what the Spirit has revealed. We talked about that last week also. There is a good amount of information about the Spirit in the Scriptures, but the Spirit, the Spirit does not reveal everything to us. Reason being is that all of the things about the Spirit, one, we don't need to know. It's not pertinent to our salvation. Spirit tells us what we need to know. Two, as we talked about also, we do not have the mind of God. There are a lot of things involved in God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that we can't fathom. Our minds are not the same as His, and we will not be able to understand the same things that He does. We look around the world today, and we are given, for instance, physical laws that we follow. These are a daily part of our lives. Still too high. Still feedback. But even though we are subject to these laws every day, and even though we follow these laws, it doesn't necessarily mean we understand them. Who can explain gravity? Well, quick answer. Nobody can explain gravity. We still don't know what it is. We don't know how it works. But we're subject to that law. But I can guarantee you, the Creator knows how it works. So you see that we don't have that same knowledge, we don't have that same ability. Paul went on to describe how the Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses in Romans 8, 26-27. It is truly a thrilling thing to know that the Spirit of God is willing to intercede for us when we pray. That's something that we absolutely need, right? That intercession. We're not perfect. And since we're not perfect, then we need that intercession from the Holy Spirit to help. So it's kind of a summary, I guess, of what we went over last week a little bit as far as being led by the Spirit. So... change over and see if this is any better. Our next topic of discussion we want to look at is being gifted by the Holy Spirit. Our scriptural references here are Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. As Christians, we must distinguish between the miraculous gifts of the Spirit bestowed upon individuals in the first century and the non-miraculous characteristics individuals today can exhibit when following the Spirit's instruction. The question is not whether the Spirit leads, but how does He lead? When we look out, we can see that many in the religious world assume a miraculous operation anytime we talk about the Spirit. They assume that this is a miraculous operation placed on each individual, but the operation of the Spirit does not always have to be miraculous, does it? When we look at the Scriptures. Many jump to that conclusion without researching the Scriptures. Not all acts of the Spirit are mystical. 
Miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit were passed on through the laying on of the apostles' hands, we see in Acts 8, in verses 14 through 17. Individuals used these spiritual gifts to confirm the message of God and to build upon the church. We see that in Hebrews chapter 2 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And at that time, the Spirit also led some directly. When we look back in Acts 8, the Spirit directed Philip to the eunuch. And then we see in Acts chapter 10 that the Spirit sent Peter to preach to Cornelius. Acts 16, the Spirit directed Paul to go to Macedonia. Today, with God's message confirmed, those who choose to live for God rather than the world can develop non-miraculous characteristics known as the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the qualities, qualities produced by the Spirit's influence by means of the divine instruction. When we think back at that time, the idea that Spirit led people directly, we see that through the Old Testament and in the beginning of the New Testament, where the Spirit acted directly with people. When we look back at that time, there were no sacred writings such as we have today as far as this type of instruction with the New Testament. There were writings, of course, of the old law. But we know at this point in time, Christ had come, he had sacrificed himself, he had died on the cross. The old law has now been put away. So those writings, although writings that can teach us many things, were no longer pertinent to the salvation of mankind. Christ had put them away. Christ said that he was coming to bring a new law. So if he's coming to bring a new law, we can't have two laws. So if Christ brings a new law, the old law has to go away. So then as Christ has gone now and the apostles are teaching, then the Spirit is directing and we have the sacred writings that we use today, we refer to as the New Testament. That's what leads us. New Testament itself which, as we said, was given by the Holy Spirit, tells us it makes us complete, thoroughly furnished. So if the New Testament is to make the Christian complete, and the New Testament is to thoroughly furnish the Christian with everything that he needs for day-to-day -day life and for the salvation of his soul, what other direction do we need? So the idea of the Spirit coming and bringing new things to people today counteracts what the New Testament tells us. So we have kind of a quandary there. If the, New if the Spirit is actually leading today in the same way that He led in the Old Testament days, then His writing, the Spirit's writing of the New Testament is false. But we know that's not true. So how does the Spirit produce things like love, joy, peace, and patience in us if not through the word that he has given us? We just described that does not act the way he did in the Old Testament times. He doesn't act the same as he did in the giving of the, the um, powers to the apostles. So if he doesn't do that, then how does he work these things in us? Well, it requires adherence to the Spirit's given word and not miracles. We look back into Isaiah chapter 48, verses 16 through 18, it says, We see that God leads when we follow his commandments. 
The verses say, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. So we know the Lord is going to lead us. In Psalms 119.105, the word of God is a light to show us the path to follow. So he said he's going to lead us and he said he's going to give us a light to follow. Then we look at Galatians 5 and 16 through 25. We're instructed to walk by the Spirit and that we are led by the Spirit if we are Christians. So God promised to lead us. He promised to give us a light. He sent the Spirit. And the Spirit then gave us instructions that we should follow. What are those instructions? Instructions happen to be what we refer to as the New Testament, right? There's nothing else that the Spirit has given us. Is there any discussion on that point? Any comments? Paul speaks to Timothy of his gift in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6. That gift of the power to preach and to defend the truth represent, is represented as a fire. A flame which must be stirred up and have fresh fuel added to it or it will go out. In other words, Timothy was to renew his efforts to use it through study and practice, just as we are today. Instructions that was given to Timothy are true for us today. David Litscombe and J.W. Shepard observed the fact that the exhortation to Timothy is to use the means God had given him to keep the flame brightly glowing. The action of man is essential to keep devotion to the Lord ever warm and active. However rich the gifts God has bestowed upon us, they do not grow of their own accord, but grow and increase in strength and through the constant and diligent use of them. If we're to live by the scriptures, as Christians, we have to study the scriptures. We have to practice the scriptures. When we think about talking to others about Christ, we want to lead others to Christ, especially someone who doesn't know the Lord, then we have to have read and studied. And then in addition to that, we have to practice by talking to people. The more that we discuss it with people, the better we will be. It's like anything else that we do. If you have a mechanic and you want him to work on your car, but he hasn't picked up a wrench in the last 30 years, what's the chances he's going to be a good mechanic? Not very good, right? Christian may have been a Christian for 30 years, but if he hasn't picked up his Bible and he hasn't read and he hasn't studied, how good a Christian is he going to be? That's where we get our directions. Unlike purchasing a piece of modular furniture that you take home and then you put down on the floor and you get all the screws and the bolts out and you get all the pieces together and then you try to fasten this all up and then decide after about the third attempt, well, maybe I need to go back and read the instructions, right? We can't do Christianity like that. We can't wait until this is over and the day of judgment's here to go back and decide, I need to read the scriptures, right? We have to read the instructions first. Then we can accomplish the goals that we set out for ourselves. These are not restrictions on God, but a recognition of what the Scripture clearly teaches. And a lot of times you'll hear that. If you talk about the fact that God does not work in miraculous ways anymore, then a lot of times you'll get the comment, where well, you're, you're trying to live with God. God's all-powerful. God can do anything. Yes, He can. And we do not doubt that one bit. But we're not putting limits on God. We can't. 
How has I, as a creation, put limits upon the Creator? It's impossible, isn't it? But God has put limits upon Himself. And he said, this is how I will do it in this dispensation. He talked to the patriarchs and he talked to the prophets. And then he talked through Christ. Now he talks through the Holy Spirit. These are not choices that we made. These are choices that God made. That's how he wants to communicate with us. He thinks, excuse me, thinks as Christians in this day and age, we should believe on faith. We do not have anyone coming down directly to speak with us. I will never have the privilege that Abraham had. Right? It just won't happen. God said, we're not doing it that way. We're going to do it this way. We do it through the word that the Spirit gave us. The Spirit is not the same as the Word of God. The Word is the tool that's used by the Spirit to lead us to Christ. Through these words, the Spirit delivers the thoughts of God to the mind of man, as we see in 1 Corinthians 2 and 13. As we see in 2 Peter 1 and 21, the Spirit is the one involved in the inspiration of the written Word. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're told the Scriptures are breathed from God. When we allow the teachings of the Bible to work in our lives, the Spirit, which is the deliverer of these teachings, changes us. That's the purpose of the words. To change us from that sinner that we were to that Christian we have become. If these words are not here to do that for us, why do we have them? If these words are not essential to the salvation of mankind, why did the Father send them? Okay, and that is discussion really about gifted by the Spirit. Is there any comments or any questions? Or if you have any questions, I'm sure Larry will be able to answer all of them. Just check and see if you're awake. Nobody's talking, so. Nathan's bringing up a point that, that we as Christians in this day and age have the complete Word of God. We're privileged beyond anyone in the past. The prophets searched for that and weren't allowed to see it, right? We talked about that. Um, Abraham had a promise, but he didn't have the Word. Right? That was all to come later. So we are very privileged. We're very fortunate in that respect.
Sam pointing out the fact that that we struggle against things of this world now, and we don't don't have uh, issues, I guess, that were common back in, in Old Testament times and things of like that in the beginning of the New Testament. Um, okay, we have any more comments? Okay, we'll move on then to strengthened by the Spirit, Ephesians three fourteen through nineteen. The Holy Spirit strengthens the individual Christians. One of the most beautiful references to the Holy Spirit's work is found in Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. In verse 16 it says, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here the inner man refers to the man's spirit and his essence in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. The strength Paul prayed for the Christian to receive was needed to faithfully serve the Lord. Although much speculation exists regarding how the Holy Spirit accomplishes this task, we conclude from our previous scripture that such is not done day through miraculous means. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10. When the Christian is properly strengthened, he allows Christ to be the Lord of his life. This occurs when Christ dwells in one's heart by faith. As we talked about before, we, we have the scriptures given to us to guide us into salvation. Everything that we need for the salvation of our souls is listed in the scriptures, given to us. This is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week, when we talked about the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit is that gift. The Spirit of God given to us. We see that, we can study that, we learn about the Spirit in the Word. And then through that study and the strength that we gain from that, we secure ourselves in Christianity and we also develop and cultivate capability of talking to and leading others to Christianity. It's sad when we look out in the world today because there are so many people in the world today who have been led astray. There are so many people in the world today that do not even believe in God any longer. We've talked in the past, of course, that somewhere down the line, someone in the family fell away from God and then directed their family in that manner. And now multiple people uh, not only don't serve God, but don't even believe in God anymore. We see that more and more in our country. Uh, it's very unfortunate. Um, so there are, when we talk about the, the scriptures and they talk about the field being wide unto harvest, the field is definitely wide unto harvest. There's plenty out there that needs to be harvested. Unfortunately, now where we're used to look to other countries, we're having to look within our own. When we look at Ephesians 3, 18 19, it says, Comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit's, and the Holy Spirit's role in this process is not to be ignored. Despite whatever else we might say, it is clear that the Holy Spirit of God is concerned with the child of God, and that we should be very thankful for that. <clears throat> We would be in sad shape without Christ coming and offering himself as a sacrifice to us to pay the debt that we owe so that we don't have to do it. And at the same time, we're indebted to the Holy Spirit 
for delivering unto us those words of God that we can read, that we can learn from, that we can understand. As we talked about before, just a little while ago, our mind's here, God's mind is here, but the Holy Spirit was able to interpret everything that God wanted us to know on a level that we can understand. You, know, you do not have to spend four, eight, twelve years in a, a place of higher education to be able to read the scriptures. The scriptures are very plain. And we can study those and we can learn from those. And we can learn, as the Bible talks about, to rightly divide those words. To understand how they apply to us. And in some cases, how they do not apply to us. So the study gives us that ability. The Holy Spirit also strengthens the church. In order to strengthen the church, the truth, God's words given by the Holy Spirit, must be taught from within. We come together Sundays and Wednesdays, and we come together to do just as this, to talk and to learn, to study the scriptures, to hopefully learn from one another that we can become better Christians. But what would happen to the church if we came and we never discussed the Bible? What if we never had Bible classes? What if we never had worship services? Would we as a church grow? We wouldn't, would we? Actually, the church would disappear. And that's what happens to Christians. If we don't have this, if we don't do this, if we don't come together to study, just as when you cut a flower and you put it in a vase and you set it on a table and it withers and it dies, right? Without the word of God, without the study, a Christian is going to wither and die. As we've talked about so many times before, a lot of times with Christians what you unfortunately see is that people stop coming on Wednesday night to Bible study. And then they do it for a few weeks and then they decide, well, I've got other things I need to do on Sunday night. And they stop coming on Sunday night. And then they get so used to not coming on Sunday night then they start to skip Bible study on Sunday morning. And eventually they skip worship service on Sunday morning. How long do you think a Christian can remain a Christian without church? Without being able to come together with those who have a like faith to study, to learn, to better yourself. We know the church is essential. The scripture tells us in Hebrews that church is essential. But we can tell in our daily lives, can't we? We can look around us. We all know someone who was a member of the church at one time but it's not any longer. I was reading an article, a gentleman was talking about that. Uh, he had gone to visit someone who was, who had been a member of the church and had drifted away and they were discussing it and he said something about him forsaking his religion. And the guy got really upset. He said, I have not forsaken my religion. I still, I'm still a Christian. And so he said, well, Okay, you don't come together with you don't associate with other Christians. You no longer observe the communion. You don't give up your means. You don't come together with other Christians and pray. What of your religion is left? 
If we don't practice Christianity, we will lose Christianity. And we will lose our soul. God's, word are tr- God's words are truth, and when practiced, truth separates the Christian from the rest of the world. We see in John 17 and 17. While the church is certainly the bearer of truth to the world, it must continually teach itself to ensure that it continues in the faith. If false words come from the teachers, then the entire congregation can be led astray. And unfortunately, we've seen that. This is how false religions come into being. This is why we have so many denominations in the world today. Someone has brought in something from outside. We can talk and talk and talk about denominations and, and different religions and things like that, but when we think back until the day of Christ and when he died and the apostles started on the day of Pentecost, how many churches were there? There one, right? And everybody that belonged to that one church believed the same thing and practiced the same thing. So why do we have thousands of different denominations today? Because someone did not want to follow what the apostles in Christ had laid down. They wanted to do something different. They wanted to do something they felt was better. But I got news for you. It doesn't matter what my ideas are, what your ideas are. There's nothing better than what God has already set forth. We can't improve upon what God has laid down. To prevent this from happening, individual Christians need to be searching the scriptures daily. This is not a responsibility for the church. This is not a responsibility for the elders and for the deacons. A lot of times we get that idea in our mind. Elders and deacons are Christians just like you are. Elders and deacons are not perfect either. You need to become essentially scholars of the word, watchmen, as they talk about in Ezekiel chapter 33, able to defend and share the truth of the Bible and continually grow. What happens if someone gets up in the pulpit and says something that is not biblically correct? Every member of this church should know that. And they should know it's not correct. That's our responsibility as members. If we look a little further, it says, The question of how the Holy Spirit indwells in the child of God has long been discussed. There's many of the hope that the Spirit dwells in the Christian representatively, representatively through the Word. And there are those who believe the Spirit literally dwells in the Christian. We must acknowledge that the Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian somehow. Right? We're taught that. We're told that. And whether we have studied, whether we learn, whether we know that or not, it doesn't limit His power. At the same time, we must not attribute more to the Holy Spirit than Scripture allows. The Spirit has revealed in Scripture only what He desires us to know. And we will not know anymore. We have only what the Scriptures tell us. Through the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit that are not, although the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer available, we can certainly produce the fruit of the Spirit today. Christians 
would do well to study the characteristics that are mentioned as we went over in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Our lives, relationships, congregations, and communities would certainly be better if they were characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodliness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if everyone, not only in this community, in this state, in this country, if everyone in the world practiced these? What would this world be like? As Sam talked about earlier, we, we fight against principalities and powers. What if everyone who is in a position of power practiced these same gifts of the Spirit? Although most of the Holy Spirit work involved the inspiration and confirmation of God's Word, this is not all that Scripture, scripture attributes to the Holy Spirit. It is especially important to consider the Spirit's willingness to intercede for us when we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, Romans 8 and 26. If anything, this shows the Holy Spirit's concern for us. We also see Ephesians 4 and 30. A lot of times there are things that we would like to communicate in our prayer, things that we would like to get across, but we just don't know how to word those things. But the, inter- the Holy Spirit can intercede for us and understand what we want. Scripture talks about the groanings. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> is able to strengthen us. In our study of the Word, tells us a lot about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't tell us everything that we want to know, I'm sure. But as we talk about it, it tells us everything that we need to know. And that's pretty much what I have for this morning. So do we have comments on any of this? Any questions? Everybody tried to live like he was talking about the wouldn't have to have prisons and police and right, we would. a lot of jobs, you know, but I think a man like that would be better. Yeah. If everybody lived with those gifts of the Holy Spirit and practiced those, then the world would be a much better place. We wouldn't have to worry about anything as far as crime is concerned or anything else. No. Right. That's one thing we talked about last week is the idea that if you believe that man has a body and that man has a spirit, then you believe a violation of those laws because our physical laws say no two things can occupy the same space at the same time. But the Bible tells us that we do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.